Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I want to uh, welcome my guest today, Haley Evans. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. I am so excited for our listeners to hear your story. Your story is unbelievable. And when I say that, it truly is the transformation that you've been through. So listeners, you are in for a treat today. Um, I do need to thank our sponsor, uh, Veracity Networks, and my friend Drew Peterson for making that possible. They have helped me get this word out and this uh, podcast out, and it's been a blessing to this whole process. So thank you, Veracity Networks. And again, listeners, thank you for your support. And I promise you today, this one is going to um, touch your hearts, and you're going to want to share this with those that uh, you know that may be struggling. So Again, Haley, thank you for taking the time to do this today. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So we uh, we were just talking. We met about three years ago, um, and we met at Wasatch Recovery. You are actually uh, one of my clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's where I got to know her. And to, at that time, she was struggling with addiction. And and uh, so we're going to get into her story. And so um, why don't we just start, kind of like let the listeners know like where you grew up and a little about your family. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Salt Lake in the avenues. Um, Both of my parents were extremely involved in my life. I have one older sister. Okay. Um, My dad was a court commissioner, so it's kind of like a family court judge. So he was um, working quite a bit. My mom was a dental hygienist, and uh, they provided for me the best they could. Right. they always put my sister and I first. However, they had their own problems. And so they got divorced when I was about 12. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How was that when you were, I mean, can you think back about what was going through your mind at this time? And um, I just remember seeing my sister. So my sister's nine years older than I am. So she was a teenager. Right. And I remember her bawling and just being extremely upset. And I was so confused, but I didn't really understand the dynamic. Yeah. All I could think was, oh, I get two Christmases now because <laughs> I was like, oh, more presents. Yeah. So, but my sister was really torn up about it. And I just right. remember being concerned about my sister. Okay. <clears throat> were, are you, were you close to your sister growing up? Yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah, she was a huge part of my life. Okay. And so um, eventually after my parents got divorced, I had shared custody. So I was with my dad Monday and Tuesday, my mom Wednesday and Thursday, and they switch off weekends. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. How was that? Did you enjoy that part or was that, did you start understanding what was going on at that point? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And it was um, really inconsistent. There was right. a lot of inconsistencies. And so that was kind of rough for me. Um, that being said, though, my parents really did try their best to put me in front of everything. Um, they made me feel loved and important and all of this stuff. Yeah. But Right. <clears throat> but. So um, obviously going through a divorce as a kid, it, it's tough. Um, and, you know, and then just growing up in general can be a hard thing, you know. And some of the, sometimes we pick up these belief systems that we have about ourselves mm-hmm. that kind of hold us back. If you think back, you know, growing up, were there some belief systems that you struggled with about yourself that kind of held you back? Yeah, well, um, so... At a pretty young age, I was uh, molested by an older cousin. Okay. And so I didn't really, I was about, it was from like ages five to nine. And um, I didn't really understand what was going on. But I always felt um, 
like I was doing something wrong or oh. I always felt like um, I wasn't fully connected with my family. Like I always felt not enough, I guess, even though they did nothing to make me feel that way. That's right. just how I felt. Sure. Um, so I had pretty low self-esteem at a really young age. So this started at age five, you said? Mm -hmm. Did Did you tell anyone at the time or did you just kind of feel like I, you didn't even know how to share it or you just keep it to yourself? So I didn't even understand that it was anything that shouldn't be happening. Right, okay. So um, my sister, it would happen at my grandma's house. We'd go to my grandma's house <clears throat> in Utah County every Sunday and he would... Uh, do it there and my sister walked in one time and told my mom and then it, it all came to light okay so and my parents put me in therapy at a very young age as well after sure. it because yeah, they yeah. didn't know what to do but um i didn't understand that either at that right. time wow and so was that about was that age nine when your sister found this out that was going on right yeah okay. yeah i was in fourth grade and that's what stopped it mm -hmm. ultimately right so thankfully your sister actually did you know, walk in. So it didn't continue even. Oh, completely. Even, you know, completely. So at that time, did you know something was wrong about it? I mean, it, you know, when your sister found out and I mean, she saw maybe her reaction or. Yeah, I almost felt punished in a way. Really? Um, because and it's not anything that any adult was doing wrong, but it's just the circumstances that happened afterwards. I had to go to therapy twice a week and I really didn't like it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I couldn't play with my friends. I couldn't do my normal activities because I had to go to therapy. Um, my family, my extended family was split up after that because I couldn't be around that cousin anymore. And so oh, yeah. my aunts and uncles, I felt like I was the reason that my family was splitting <laughs> up. Yeah, and that's I hear this a lot. It's very common because, again, you're a young child. You don't, mm -hmm. like you said, you didn't even fully understand what was really even going on. And then you see all of these things happening. Got to go to therapy, family splitting up, can't go play with these friends, can't go to this family party. You almost think it's my fault. What did I do? Exactly. Yeah. And this happens a lot with kids who, um, when their parents divorce at a young age, the, the, the child even subconsciously thinks it's my fault. Like, mm -hmm. even though it's not, but, you know, they think that. And so here you are thinking, you know, this is maybe on some level my fault that all these things are happening. Is right. that fair to say? Or That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, my sister went to a fashion school in New York when I was about 13 or 14. So the only person that kind of understood what I was going through was at school in New York. And so um, junior high was extremely rough for me. Wow. So you probably felt alone. and mm -hmm. Yeah, extremely. And I was dealing with all of this new transition with having two houses, um, seeing my mom go through an extreme depression because she was still in love with my dad. And mm -hmm. I would come home to her crying all the time. And it was just, it was a hard time. Wow. you So you were dealing with a lot of heavy stuff as a young child. Yeah. I mean, so many different aspects. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so what, I mean, so yeah, you said you, you felt like you had this low self-esteem. Any other beliefs around that though that just kind of you felt held you back in life or at that time or um really I just felt disconnected from people I had a very I had two or three really close friends to me but right. I just felt um different from everybody I didn't feel I would always compare myself to other people in my class or um and yeah I just had 
I felt really, really down about myself mm-hmm. um, to the point where I would cry myself to sleep a lot when I was young. Wow. Yeah. So did you have any close friends at that time? I did, yeah. And yeah. I was involved in uh, almost every sport. My dad okay. made sure that I played <laughs> almost every sport. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was basketball, soccer, tennis, everything. Yeah. Uh, so that kept me, my spirits up and my confidence right. was building from that. And were your friends from those different sports that you they that you played with? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And they lived in my neighborhood too, gotcha. so it was perfect. Yeah. So I mean, again, you know, and I started this off by talking about how you you know you've you've overcome an addiction, and you know obviously that started when you were younger. Let's talk about when that kind of, inter- you know, when you introduced yourself or it was introduced to you, you mm-hmm. know, drugs and partying and that kind of thing. Let's talk about that. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was, so junior high was really rough. Um, I was bullied a lot, but I feel like all of us have either been bullied or were the bully. So that's kind of part of growing up. Yeah. Junior high is like a minefield. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just try to get through this without blowing up. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So that was a little rough, um, but I made it through, I made it to high school and, um, do you know what the, why were you being bullied? Do you think I just was really quiet and mm-hmm. I kind of kept to myself and um, a lot of the louder kids in my class would always just tease me or mm-hmm. like, you know, just make fun of me to the point where like my face would go bright red. They called me tomato because I'd get so embarrassed oh, really? so easily. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And, and we can laugh at it now. But I mean, mm-hmm. at the time when you're that when you're a kid, that's a that's tough when you know you're being teased in front of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a tough time. Yeah. Okay, so that went throughout high, uh, junior high, and then you mm-hmm. get into high school. and Yeah, and freshman year went fine, uh, and then it was the summer of freshman year. I um, My friend said she was going to a rave, and I went to protect her, was my intention. Mm, okay. And <laughs> um, I snuck out of my house, and we went there, and then I was, um, everybody, all of my friends were taking ecstasy, so the first drug I actually took was ecstasy at oh, 15. Really? At 15, okay. And that's mm-hmm. freshman year, you said? Yeah. Okay. So um, that kind of started everything. Um, so I I went to the first rave, took ecstasy. I blacked out. I don't remember anything from really? that night. Yeah. And I woke up and I had a, a new boyfriend. <laughs> Apparently he was a senior and I was a freshman. And so that kind of started my relationship um, downfall. Well, what you, so say that again. You woke up the next day with a boyfriend. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Like, so talk about that. <laughs> Just throw that out there. Let's so <laughs> I blacked out, but I remember little pieces. Um, I mean, I'm sure we can all relate when right. you black out, you kind of remember little flashes right. of mm-hmm. what happened. Right. And, um, so yeah, I remember I met him and then we were texting. And so then he eventually became my boyfriend. Oh, I gotcha. Say. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. So after that, I continued to rave um, about once to two times every two months. Um, my and grades were pretty well. All, like, they were really well all the still way Still playing through. sports at this time yeah, as well? Yeah. I was okay. actually on the rowing team. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Which is really weird for Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was on the rowing team at this time. And, um, I was still partying and then I found alcohol, which was a whole other 
ball game. So um, I started going drunk to school because school was really hard for me. I just, I would get really bad anxiety to the mm -hmm. point where I wouldn't want to go. So me and my best friend would get drunk, go to school, and just act like everything was fine. Yeah. And in your mind at that time, were you thinking this, this, you know, ecstasy and then eventually alcohol at that point, you felt like, okay, I can actually handle school if I, if I drink a little bit before I go. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of the mindset? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I felt, I felt cool. Like I felt like, okay, I finally fit in because all of these people that I thought were super cool are doing it too. So did you find yourself when you when you first took a ecstasy? Did you, you know, yes, you blacked out that first time and you wake up the next day or whatever. Did you find yourself thinking like, wow, I really enjoyed that. That was fun. I can't wait to do it again kind of thing. Or was it like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that again. Just what was your mindset at that time, if you can remember? Um, I would crave it. I would. So I would listen to certain music and before each rave, like even like three weeks before a rave and I would get my I would feel this like pump in my chest and I would just go, get super excited to the point where I would obsess over it and start craving it really? so yeah yeah well you know I think that happens a lot um, especially with someone as rough of a upbringing as you had mm -hmm. all of a sudden you find this some you know this experience like that's something that brought a good feeling to you at that time right and it's like, man, you've been feeling so down and then you have this experience. I get why you would, you know, and I think that's a lot of times where that all or nothing kind of stuff comes in. And I remember, in, you know, in my own story, I, when I first, you know, got high for the first time, I was just like, whoa, th I've never felt like this before. I want this again kind of thing. So I was just wondering if that was the same mindset. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And um, ever since the molestation, I kind of had a hard time being um intimate or even wanting to hug people i had like a really hard time hugging people and so um ecstasy and alcohol i kind of felt like a normal person where i was like okay i can i want people in my personal bubble when before it would be like i would hate it if anybody came even close to me right so yeah it was kind of yeah i finally felt normal yeah did your did your family notice that, like your mom and dad, that you were struggling with, uh, you know, the hugging people? I mean, did you struggle hugging, hugging them as well? Was it, did they, could they tell that you were struggling? Yeah, so actually after junior high, I kind of put the molestation in the back of my head. Um, it was a subconscious thing. Right. And so my parents noticed um, I wouldn't hug any family members after that. Or if I had to, I would get extremely anxious before, like, oh my gosh, I have to hug them, I have to hug them, really? which is super bizarre. Yeah. But in for a child or for a young teenager, it was ex it was scary, and I didn't know how to feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really weird. Wow. Well, again, understanding, you know, knowing what you've been through, that that makes sense that you would struggle with that type of thing, and and so. But so when you go to a rave and you're taking ecstasy, it's all about hugging and loving, right? It's like the complete opposite, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> That's why I was like, oh my gosh, I'm normal. Yeah, it's like, wow, I can connect with people. I can hug. I can tell people I love them. I can, right. you know, I feel free. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. So then it led to you started drinking. 
Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, drinking. And then I, I uh, continue to do all of the party drugs, which are acid, mushrooms. And um, as soon as I found a new drug, it was my new favorite. And I would go to the extreme. So I would, the first time I tried mushrooms, I would just keep doing it like every weekend. Yeah. Then I'd try acid and then I'd do that every weekend. Then I started mixing drugs, ecstasy and acid. And then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 downward spiral. Right. Did you at the time now, it, when you were doing the acid and the mushrooms and all that stuff, was that still freshman and sophomore year? Uh, I mean, how old are you at this time? Um, I'm about seventeen. Seventeen, so, so junior year maybe. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So junior year, you're partying pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Does your family, or particularly your mom and dad, do they know you're partying like this? Do they have any idea? Yeah. So my grades went down really, okay. really low. At first, they were great, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing really well, and then they started to drop. Okay. Right. And my dad, he's um, extremely strict, mm-hmm. and <laughs> he, I started skipping class, and he would get phone calls from the school, like Haley hasn't been in class today, and he would just be livid with me right um so my dad and I had a lot of tension throughout high school because I just was not listening to him I didn't care what he had to say and he was just he didn't know what to do with me right so um and then I continued to sneak out and lie to them all the time and I quit rowing um I dedicated my whole life to partying basically yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so unfortunate that it happens to so many kids that you know, you know, there's an issue when they when you stop doing the things that actually brought you joy. Right. You know, the rowing, the sports, the hanging, hanging out with your friends, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Connect, trying to connect with your family the best that you could. But then you start, and then that that the lying creeps in. Mm-hmm. Then you start lying. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was bad, and I had a lot of guilt and shame, and it just drove me into more using and getting more drunk. Or and I was smoking weed every day at this point too. Um, and then, uh, age 17 was the first time I got in trouble with the law and, um, okay. yeah, I was in, uh, lava hot springs. We went to trip acid out there and we got pulled over. Okay. Yeah. And my dad being a judge, um, oh, wow. the police officer called him and was like, we have your daughter in Pocatello, Idaho. And he was like, what? <laughs> Why is yeah, she in Pocatello right, right now? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, at that point I had to be on probation. They ordered my dad to be my probation officer because it was out of state, which is a really rare case. <laughs> yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, um... <laughs> Were you afraid of your dad? Yes, I was extremely. Yeah, and and this is not bagging on your dad whatsoever. I mean, we're not, I just was curious, you know, if if you feared your dad. And I mean, looking back on that, do you wish maybe he handled it differently? Or do you feel like he handled it the way he probably should have based on what you were struggling with? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because I can't imagine having a daughter treat me the way that I treated him yeah if that makes sense yeah um he did have a really rough job and he would take it home with him a lot and his temper was really bad sometimes Mm -hmm. but um he's only human so right yeah yeah he was doing the best that he could right and he had he we've never dealt with addiction in my family I'm the first addict out of my extended family and our family so he had no idea what to do sure yeah absolutely so 
Yeah, and then you know you're skipping class, your your grades are dropping, and then he gets a call. You're in Pocatello, getting arrested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's this like, <laughs> yeah, and I think in, in any parent would be like, what's going on? What do we do? Right. But I think a lot of times, too, parents don't. You're like you said, we don't. Parents don't know how to handle that in the moment. Like, what's the best way to handle this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And so it's that's kind of a tough uh, situation for 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 them exactly. at that time, you know. Yeah, and so that's, I started uh, being drug tested. So I was on probation through my dad, but they also wanted drug tests through the state. And so um, I started being drug tested at that point. And um, did you work your way around the drug test? Usually, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I stopped smoking weed. Uh um, And I, yeah, mostly I worked my way around it. Because you probably knew that the drug test doesn't catch everything right most kids know this yeah it's just the truth yeah and so you probably like okay well i'll do these drugs because it won't get i won't get caught for those yeah is that correct oh yeah and <laughs> i mean that's the way that addicts work is we right. know how to manipulate every situation yeah. and so i was just yeah i knew there was a way i could get around it and so i did and it made me slow down for quite some time mm-hmm. i'll be honest it yeah. did and um, i was able to graduate high school barely Okay. Which my dad, I missed a lot of school. And so I had packets and yeah. he locked me in my bedroom for about three months. And it's like, you are not leaving until you finish these packets. I will not have a daughter that does not graduate. I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so you end up graduating mm-hmm. and, uh, are you still kind of, are you on probation still when you graduate? Are you still being drug tested and all that? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, I eventually get off probation and I'm still partying um, quite a bit. I go into Salt Lake Community College, and um, I would go to that school drunk as well. And it was just a downward spiral <laughs> spiral from right. there. It was, yeah. yeah. Were were you were you were you feeling? I mean, tell us how you were feeling. Like, were you feeling depressed? Were you? I mean, what was going through your mind at this time? You know, you know, you're partying hard. Things are going down. But how are you feeling? At right. This time? So actually, um, let me backpedal a little bit. Yeah. So when I was about 17, it was around the same time that I got in trouble with the law. Um, so through the drug testing place through the state, they had me go to therapy as well. And um, the things from the molestation started coming back. I started having flashbacks and really? PTSD from the molestation. And that was a lot to handle because I didn't, I, I knew what had happened now. I kind of fully understood yeah. the whole okay. process of it. And so um, I became really resentful towards my family and um, in a really negative way. And then um, the same therapist diagnosed me with body dysmorphia at that time oh, okay. as well. So... Right which is when you look in the mirror, you see something completely different than what is actually there. Yeah. Did, did, did that, did that lead to having a, uh, you know, like a, you know, like, what do they call it? I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Mm-hmm. When you have uh, you know, like a, a, an eating disorder, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't so much of an eating disorder. Okay. It was more, um, I hated how I looked. Okay. And so it wasn't like I'm fat, I need to lose weight. No. It was more like I don't like certain parts of me. Right. Okay. Yeah. I would compare myself to my sister a lot because oh, okay. she looked her and I look very similar, but I've mm-hmm. always thought that she's just way more beautiful than I am. And so mm-hmm. 
it was to the point where it was eating me up inside. Like yeah. I wouldn't look in the mirror or when I would, I would cry and wow. I would look at my best friend and just like, it was really bizarre. I just felt, um, I felt ugly. I felt not good enough. I felt just, yeah, it yeah. was a hard time. Wow. And, <clears throat> and how old were you again when this started? 17. 17. Mm -hmm. Wow. So then obviously, and, and, you know, I talk a lot about this, um, with my clients and I've shared it a lot here on this podcast that, um, our beliefs dictate our behavior, mm -hmm. right? So if we believe something in a, you know, like if, if I believe I'm stupid, I'm going to behave a certain way based off of that belief. Right. So when you believe all these things about you, everything you've been through, you're starting to have flashbacks of what happened when you were younger, when you were molested. Mm -hmm. I mean, those irrational negative beliefs were dictating how you were behaving. Right. You know, even though you're going to know you're going to get in trouble by your dad, you know that you're going to get caught, but you're willing to risk all of that. You're going to still party and get high and get wasted. Yeah, I didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I really wow. didn't care about my well-being at that point. Mm -hmm. And then um, with my parents not knowing what to do with me, they just continued to punish me. And I just, it was just more like, okay, I'm, I'm really not worth it, you know? Yeah. And so it was a hard time. Did you ever feel, you know, down enough to where you, you did you ever feel suicidal? Anything um, like that going through this? I did. So I, when I was high, obviously I felt on top of the world. I loved life. And then as soon as I would come down or as soon as I was hung over, I would just lay in bed all day and just not feel worthy. Yeah. And then after high school, I started getting into cocaine a lot. And, um, that's when I got really suicidal, okay. extremely suicidal. Yeah. Cause the highs of that are mm -hmm. so high, but then when you come off that cliff, they call it, you know, you're so low. It's yeah, it was extremely bad. Did your sister know this was all going on? Cause I know you said she had moved out and she, obviously she's nine years older than you. Mm -hmm. Did she know that you, and what was her role in any of this? Was she trying to support you through this or did she know what was going on? At this time, she would get frustrated with me because I would miss a lot of, I would miss, miss Easter sometimes because okay. I was too hungover and she would try to get me out of bed and we'd get in a fight. But yeah. she kind of just, she partied a lot in high school too, mostly just drinking as far as I know. Yeah. But um, she kind of understood like, oh, it's just a party phase. Like she's going to grow out of it. It's just, yeah. I've. Yeah, she didn't really understand the extent of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But she did know something was up. For right. Sure. Okay, great. I just didn't know if that, you know, where, what, what she was thinking at the time. And, mm -hmm. but, uh, so you start doing cocaine. Let's just kind of go from there and just share what, what this all led up to. We'll <laughs> yeah. get into the, we'll get stuff. into the nitty gritty. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, when I was about 19, I was introduced to, um, a relationship that I was going to be in for, for the next eight years, which I didn't know at the time. Right. Um, he was from the other side of the tracks, if you want to put it that way. I'd never really met or been attracted to anybody like him. Mm -hmm. um, he was a drug dealer. He was stealing ecstasy and weed. And so that was... At that point in my life, I thought that was extremely attractive. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like somebody that I would want to be with. <laughs> yeah, now you look at this and go, what was yeah. I thinking? Like, but yeah, but Poor again, innocent 19-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're like, wow, this guy's amazing. Look what right. he's doing. Wow. Yeah, so um, 
as soon as I met him, we were kind of uh, fire and ice for each other. Mm-hmm. It was, he was raised in a completely different upbringing than I was. And yeah. he introduced me to a lifestyle that I'd never been er- introduced to before, but it was exciting to me. It was exhilarating to me. Yeah. Um, so I um, started doing more ecstasy maybe probably about three times a week because he always had it yeah. and um, the come downs were extremely bad. And so he introduced me to Lortab and um, he was like, this will take your headache away. This will take you, will make you go to sleep and this will just help you. And so I started doing Lortab mm. and um, I continued to do Lortab. As soon as I found Lortab, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Like it takes my edge away. I feel normal. I can actually function and I don't, I'm yeah. just numb. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you said earlier, it was like you'd get kind of bored with one drug then, and then the next new drug was the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And then you get bored with that or you build up that tolerance and then it's like, I need something else. And here you are, it's led all the way up and now you find Lortab and in your mind, like, this is the best thing. Right. Where you had said that previous to every other drug. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> It's so insane. now you got Lord Tab. You yeah. Know, you're thinking this is amazing. Right. And at this time, so um, my dad and I, like I'd mentioned, we had a really hard time throughout high school. So as soon as I turned 18, I decided to move in with my mom because she right. was easy on me. She let me do what I want. Right. And so I moved in with my mom full time and um, I continued to party full time. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, was continuing. Then I got to do Lord Tab every day. Um, and it was, it got to the point where I was, um, sniffing up to eight to 10 pills a day, which is so much. Wow. (laughs) And I did that for about three years. Um, I had a job during this time I was working. Um, I got in trouble with the law again Mm -hmm. this time. So I was back on probation and I told them I, um, I got a prescription. That's what it was. And so I brought in the prescription. So my drug tests were never dirty because I had a prescription for Percocets for my wisdom teeth. So, okay. Yeah. I was able to get around that. Get around that. (laughs) At that time that was okay, but that wouldn't fly today. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah. And the relationship with that boyfriend, um, he, continued he started emotionally abusing me and I did I'd never been treated like that by anybody before so I thought that I could fix him or I could help him or Mm -hmm. um there was something that I was doing wrong to make him act like that when deep down I was I knew there wasn't yeah and uh he became extremely controlling and jealous he wouldn't let me hang out with my girlfriends anymore Mm. so it was my girlfriends would text me and he would take my phone and text them pretending to be me saying don't text me ever or don't call or text me ever again we're not friends and so it was to the point where it was just him and I um and he also supplied all the drugs as well so I kind of was just toying with my emotions like where do I go I don't feel like myself anymore I miss my family my friends but this is where I'm at. Yeah. And um, so eventually I moved out with this boyfriend. Okay. Wow. And did, yeah, I mean, obviously he's trying to control you to the point where he's uh, pretending to be you and telling your friends, stay away. I don't like you anymore. And 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can imagine your friends getting this text going, what is going on? Mm-hmm. You know, did, I mean, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but did, the, did you eventually, did you get back with these friends or did they know this was, wasn't really you or? Yeah, okay. I didn't. Yeah. Today they, <laughs> they understood and okay. they even had an intervention with me um, really? at some point and I, I was just so caught up in it that. Were you still with this guy when mm-hmm. they had the intervention? Yeah. And they were probably telling you, get away from this dude. Yeah, they they told me, he's ruining you. He's ruining yeah. your life. And I just was like, you guys don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in love, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in love. He's got all the drugs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, if I remember right, this is, it got to the point where, so lore tabs led to other things as well. Right. So let's talk about that. And then how you got to the point where you were doing some things that you would never think of doing. Okay. That we talked about previous. Yeah. So, um, so at this point, I wasn't talking to my family at all. They didn't know what to do with me. So I kind of cut them out of my lives um, because they, I was on a mission to do something else with my life, and they weren't agreeing with that. So mm-hmm. I eventually moved to heroin. Um, would talk to my family maybe once every three months. Yeah. I uh, moved from my house in Salt Lake to a. a trailer in West Valley with about five people and um, my life just took a drastic drastic downfall and I started um, doing had a lot of criminal behavior I started stealing things from stores and um, I would return them get the gift cards sell them on KSL we started robbing people on KSL which was just completely out of my norm it was completely out of anything that I'd ever done right um up until this point I had only had drug charges I'd never done anything against anybody right and um and then I started stealing from my family as well which was just I wouldn't I would never do that and so um that was a really hard time I just I, we were on the bus and on tracks going from store to store, stealing things. And it was just, it was complete chaos, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I mean, does your family know how bad things have gotten for you? Did they realize, man, she is just, did they know you were stealing from them or did they have an idea at that time? Yeah, they did. Um, so I actually stole my mom's laptop one at, one point because I knew where her hidden key was her hide a key mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I stole her laptop and that was kind of the last straw so they were trying to keep in contact with me up until this point and then at that point they were they didn't want anything to do with me so yeah you get it gets to that point where your family literally goes we're done mm-hmm. we're done they can't experience the hurt anymore yeah it's like you know what that's all you you just keep stealing from us and and you're still with this same guy right mm-hmm. yeah so he, he's still there influencing as well even though you know you're doing this too i mean it's not like mm-hmm. you know you're choosing to, to go along this path but you but you felt trapped one because of the addiction mm-hmm. i've got i'm staying close to the drugs and then i need to still to keep the drugs drug habit going right yeah. and <clears throat> Addiction and abusive relationships or toxic relationships are kind of, they go hand in hand. I Mm -hmm. feel it's the same feeling. It's the same trapped feeling like I'm a slave to this person. I'm a slave to this drug. Right. And it, I don't know, it affects your whole mind, body, and soul where it just takes you over. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and I see that a lot in, you know, in what I, you know, dealing with my clients where, 
you like you said they go hand in hand you know usually the addiction they're usually in a toxic relationship and they literally it's easier for them to get off the drug than to leave the toxic relationship mm-hmm. which is fascinating right yeah but when your heart's into something you're emotionally into it breaking that emotional attachment it's like harder than stopping heroin it really is it is isn't it yeah you know, because so. when I when I first met you, when you came in here to Wasatch, you were in rough, rough shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, we're going to post a picture of you. Um, you posted it actually on Facebook a few days ago, the before and after of mm-hmm. what you looked like um, when you were at the height of your addiction versus how you look now. And it is unbelievable, folks. I mean, you will not believe this picture. I can't wait to post it just so people can see the transformation. Right. But that's how you looked when I saw you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm like, wow, this girl is in rough shape. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and we can kind of chuckle about it. But at the time I thought, how's this girl breathing? How's she even alive? Mm-hmm. It was, it was a really kind of a, you know, it, whenever I see a client in that kind of state, it really takes me back a little bit. I'm just like, man, it's amazing what we'll do, how we'll destroy ourselves slowly. Exactly. To to continue to do the drug or to be in the toxic relationship. Yeah, well, and I had no hope. I thought that I was just going to be like this forever. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a way out. I didn't see, I saw people that could get sober, but I, I was thought that that could never be me. I was right. like, there's no way that I can pull myself out of this because I've tried so many times. Yeah, right. But... You know, I've never had success or yeah. had never success. So talk about your experience. So you you eventually decide to come to Wasatch, but mm-hmm. before then, what led up to you going, okay, I'm willing to go to treatment or or was it more of, was it court ordered? Was Were you pushed by family? What happened there? <laughs> yeah, so that's a great story. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so eventually I was into heroin and then I got into meth as well. And um, that was kind of when it was everything. I started having psychosis and was doing a lot of crazy things. So my family had an intervention with me because they could they were afraid I was going to die at this point. Okay. And um, I freaked out, told them that I was leaving. And um, at this point, I had warrants. I had felony warrants out for all of the crimes that I was doing while I was in my addiction. And so um, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, um, he said, well, I'm either going to call the police and you're going to go to jail or (laughs) you're going to go to treatment. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I'll go to treatment. (laughs) You're like, okay, I'll take treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I went to detox and then I came here to Wasatch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, obviously your family's trying everything in their power to wake you up, Mm -hmm. you know, and. And it took that one comment. Hey, you want you want jail or rehab? Take your pick because you're going to get either one right now. Yeah. So lucky for you have people still caring about you in this moment, right? Completely. It was you know? so... Well, and... Uh, so I need to backpedal just a little sure. bit. So right before that intervention happened, um, it was September of 2015. Um, my sister, I was withdrawing and I was trying to get my next fix. I was just busy trying to get my next fix and my sister texts me um she said where are you dad is dying and I um my dad was a really healthy guy he hiked every day he was extremely active 
And so I had no idea. I was like, what is going on? And um, then she, the day before, we knew that he had stomach problems. He was in the ER for stomach problems. And okay. he, my whole entire life, he'd never been to the ER. So I was like, this must be serious. Yeah, right. So yeah. she's texting me, dad is dying. Where are you? And I um, eventually got a ride up to Huntsman Cancer Institute, and he had stage four lung cancer. Wow. Um, and he ended up passing away two days later. And so um, I was, yeah, I w- it was awful. It was a nightmare. Yeah. And I was in the height of my addiction, and I didn't really have any calm goodbyes before right, I got to yeah. say goodbye to him. So he passed away in September 30th of 2015. And um, that was a huge awakening as well. So that was part of the intervention. Yeah, so that happens. And then that kind of, you know, at that time it was, you know, I call it waking up. You know, when someone finally goes, what am I doing? I got to do something different. So that started the process a little bit. You know, like, wow, I got to do something different because I can't believe I didn't, you know get get a chance to maybe have a you know the 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 relationship I wanted in that moment with my father with your father right exactly yeah and um also my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer wow in 2012 so knowing that my mom was sick I had just lost my dad I knew that something had to change even though I didn't know how to do it so yeah Mm -hmm. so the intervention comes in and then you come to you detox and then you come to Wasatch Mm mm-hmm and let's talk a little bit about your experience here. You know, I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to be your counselor here and we met quite often and mm-hmm. and we did groups together and things like that. And I got to see your, you know, kind of the light turn back on in, into you, into your life. You know, your countenance started to change. But talk about it from your perspective. Yeah. So um, I really didn't want to be here <laughs> at first. Most people don't. No. <laughs> and so... Um, I started making some really amazing relationships with the people I was in treatment with mm-hmm. that it was it was awesome. And so you're right. The light started coming back. I started feeling like myself again. Um, my mom would come and visit me every time and she would tell me, she said, um, I feel like you've been lost on an island for 10 plus years and now you're finally back home. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think of it like that it's because I really was I wasn't myself oh for sure and so here at Wasatch I really did find out that I could have fun with normal life right (laughs) being sober wasn't so bad (laughs) and having real honest relationships with other people that understood what I was going through was a beautiful thing yeah so so what what belief systems did you gain here Mm-hmm. You know, because I remember when we first met, you know, one of the first things I do with every client is like we we start kind of identifying some of these irrational beliefs, mm-hmm. these l- limiting beliefs, you know, and you, you know, if I re- and again, I know it's been a minute since we've met right? <laughs> yeah, on that capacity is, you know, it really the number one thing I can remember is just the, the belief that you weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, talk about that transition a little bit. Yeah, so I started to um, find my worth again. Mm -hmm. So I started to look at, 
I stopped looking at everything that was missing from me and I started accepting everything that was within me already. Right. And just having that transition of looking at the positive rather than the negative. Right. Was amazing. Yeah. Um, because beauty really does lie within. And my whole life I've been so focused on external things. But when you get to this point of desperation where you have nothing else to live for, you're all you have. And that's yeah. amazing. Right. So I really learned how to love myself here. Yeah. And it was beautiful. And I also remember working on, you know, <clears throat> the way you would look at yourself when you looked in the mirror mm -hmm. and those kind of things. Talk about how, you know, that transition a little bit as well. Like, cause again, you would look in the mirror at starting at age 17 and go, oh, I hate what I see. Mm -hmm. How to talk about that transition and transformation. Yeah. So <laughs> I was suggested to look in the mirror and tell myself that I love myself and that I am worth it and start telling myself positive affirmations. Mm -hmm. I felt really kind of weird doing it at yeah. first. Yeah. Most <laughs> people were crazy, like, this is like, weird. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> once I started seeing some improvements and I started to feel more peace inside myself and more comfortable with who I was, I continued to do it and it just yeah. started showing and then my light just kept shining and shining. Yeah. So, well, again, I just remember <clears throat> watching you just the transformation, just, but you know, the short period of time you're here at Wasatch and, and, and I know when you left Wasatch, you, you know, you really were in a good place. You know, you, mm -hmm. you had looked at yourself differently. The light was on, you were smiling, you were happy, you mm -hmm. know, and most importantly, you were also clean. You weren't using. Right. So, and then I know you left Wasatch. And let's talk about just from there on. Mm -hmm. And I know you've had some a couple other challenges. So let's, let's just be real and let's talk about that. Okay. So, yeah, after I left Wasatch, um, I was still dealing with uh, the abusive relationship. I hadn't really ended that all the way yet. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a way to manipulate me in a way that I have never really understood yeah so i shortly after i left wasatch i went back to that boyfriend um because like you said sometimes we can't leave toxic relationships more than we can leave drugs yeah so yeah, yeah it was bizarre so i went back to him and eventually the drugs followed yeah and um things just got really really bad yep. after that yeah uh, my family they really didn't know what to do at this point because they got me treatment and I didn't yeah. succeed. I didn't follow yeah. through. They, they saw you coming back and then you left again. They're like right. going, wow, what's going on? I here? can only imagine the disappointment. For sure. So, um, so yeah, that filled me with a lot of shame as well because I, I was just feeling really bad about myself. I was like, oh my God, I was given this amazing opportunity and then I just threw it away again, talking down to myself like, oh, of course I did because that's all I that's all, all I ever I, do, yeah. you know? And so, um, so yeah, my mom's sickness progressed. And um, this was about 2017. I started getting incarcerated um, for all of my charges. And I just continued down a really, really dark path. Yeah. Um, so then my, my mom, uh, she told me that she wanted me to live with her which was crazy. And I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm still an active drug user. I, you want me inside yeah, your you house. You really want me there? <laughs> yeah. And she said, I would love for you to be my caretaker right now because I miss you. And I know I don't have very much time left. So please come stay with me. 
So I went and stayed with my mom while I was still getting high. Right. And, um, yeah, so she had been on chemo and radiation this whole, for five years. Right. And she finally pulled me aside and told me that she was done fighting, um, that she couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And so I, um, was extremely resentful towards her at first because my sister and I did not get along at this point yeah. at all. Yeah. My sister and I, we bumped heads so much cause she just, yeah. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Yeah. And so, um, I was really upset with my mom and I eventually realized that that was the most courageous thing that anyone could decide to do is just decide that you're done fighting. And, um, so we thought that she had about like three to four months left after she stopped chemo and she only had about one month. And so January 30th of 2017, she passed away. Um, and, um, that was my mom was my rock right um she was my best friend for most of my life so when that happened um it kind of sent me into like a really really deep spiral right and my sister wouldn't let me live with her and the only place that i stayed was with my abusive boyfriend wow and i forget to mention at this point the emotional abuse had turned to physical so it was, and it turned me into a physical person too. So really? he, I had never been physical my whole entire life. Yeah. And then I became this monster and, um, we would just beat each other up for no reason. And it was just so out of my character. Wow, man. And, and yeah, you know, it's, I just, you know, when people, I mean, I know you really well. I mean, mm-hmm. and I know that's not you. I right. mean, I just know that. And and if people were sitting here right now, they were like, you're, you're that girl? You were doing that <laughs> stuff? They would be surprised. Um, but again, that's, that's, the, that's how vicious and miserable things can get when you're doing drugs. Mm-hmm. Because it turns you into someone you're not. Like you said, you did things you said you never in your life would ever dream of. Because again, it's not you. That to your core, that's not who you are. Right. But thinking about and if you think back all the stuff you went through in your life, you know, and then you now now you've lost both parents mm-hmm. to, you know, and you you know, and then you and your sister, you've even kind of lost her in the sense that you guys have just butted heads so much for, for obvious reasons, like you said. Now you're just like, now all I have is this abusive monster in my life Mm -hmm. that I still can for some reason won't walk away from right wow yeah it was maddening I I felt crazy almost I was like what is wrong with me like I know I'm worth more much more in my core I knew that Mm -hmm. but just I couldn't bring myself to change yeah so um eventually I got um put in jail again um this time for my felonies. And so it was a pretty long stay and, uh, I got offered drug court. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I got offered another treatment center or go to go to another treatment center. And, um, so having prison under my belt now, Mm -hmm. if I don't complete drug court, that was a huge, like, okay, I need to change my life. I've, I don't, Right. Belong in prison. I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so I, I got out of jail. I went to this other treatment center and I completed drug court within um, with no infractions, which is amazing for me. <laughs> yeah, especially what up to that point, what you've been doing with your life. Right. So for you to go and do that perfectly. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh my, is this really me right now? I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. so um, <laughs> I had been drug tested since I was 17 consistently. Right. And so I, and I had I never completed a probation really besides when I was 17 and I got around it. So it was insane and i was on um apmp adult uh-huh. parole and probation as well as drug court so i had i was double both supervised those. yeah double su- yeah and for sure <laughs> i completed both of them successfully which wow. was a miracle in itself yeah and so. that so when you completed those what what year is it now um 2018 okay yeah so 2018 mm-hmm. and you know, and this is this is when the turnaround real. I mean, obviously it started when you, I mean, you like you said, it really the wake up call all started a lot back when your father passed away, mm-hmm. and just these little challenges and trials along the way, interventions. You know, you come to Wasatch, that brought on some light. You know, all these little things are starting to slowly wake you up. Now you've gone through all of this. Now at this point, are you feeling like okay? I've mm-hmm. got this. Yeah. So um, my mom was a huge, huge encouragement for mm-hmm. um, me to fight for my life. I used to tell myself like, OK, you're going to fight for your life the way that mom fought for hers because, you know, she fought for her life for so long. For so long. She know? really did. And yeah. she had no choice. And she it was cancer. So right. she couldn't do anything about it. And right. I, I had the ability. I had the tools. I found mm-hmm. a solution. Right. And so it really was a huge encouragement for me. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I also found um, the 12 steps, the 12 right. step program. Right. And Which that helped a ton. It helped me so much. Real quick, when you get out of drug court and um, in APMP, did you, at, at this point, had you had finally got away from that relationship? Oh, yeah. I Let's talk. To yeah, mention. we w- might want to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a huge part. Yes. We don't um, leave that out. Yeah, no. So when I was in that last treatment center, I uh, was put on restriction from talking to him at any costs. Right. So, um, yeah, which helped a lot. Yeah, and at sure. this other treatment center, I was finally willing to allow myself to be close to people. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that they say the opposite of addiction is human connection. Sure. And so that's Absolutely. literally what I found. And so I started making all these new relationships, these new friends with people that actually loved me for who I was at the core, yeah. who wanted what was best for me. Yeah. And I was able to get to the point where I knew that I was worth more than that. So I ended up blocking his number, telling him that I found a better life. I wish him the best. And that's that. And yeah, it's been crazy. I never, I, I look back at my journals from that relationship yeah. And I re I wrote, I wish I could just leave. Why can't I leave? I'm miserable. Um, I hate him. I hate myself. I wish I could just leave. And to see myself today free from him is a miracle. It is a miracle. Mm -hmm. It really is. And again, like I said, the the picture says it all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding you. It is unbelievable when you you guys see this. But uh, uh, so I, 
is there anything else you'd like to share up to this point? I mean, you've been doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, you look amazing. Um, you not only do you look amazing, but I can feel your light. If that makes sense. Um, right. Like I, I can, I can feel that you're doing good. If that makes sense. Like you, I can see it in your face and your countenance. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing actually. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I never thought I'd be here. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I always thought you could do it. Mm-hmm. I never, n- there was never a time that I thought, well, she can't do this. I always knew you could. Right. But it doesn't matter what I thought. It was what you really believed to your core. Mm-hmm. You know, so to see you now embracing that yourself and doing it is really cool. Right. Thank you. Yeah, you betcha. Um, oh, wow. What an amazing journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, like, I, I don't even know if this is doing it justice by what, how we even talk, like how hard it was and to see you now and how good you're doing. And, you know, you seem very happy. Um, mm-hmm. You look, like I said, you look really good. Let's talk about, I mean, how do you feel today? Let's just talk about that. Like, how are you feeling right now? Um, so before I, my life, I'd always have this tightness in my chest. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I felt unsafe all the time. Mm-hmm. And now I feel a sense of serenity and okay. security. And um, at today I know whatever happens in my life, I'll be okay. <laughs> love and that. I love that. Before it wasn't like that. Right. So um, I've also heard this from another person in recovery. They told me to turn my fear into faith, mm-hmm. which is huge. Yeah. Because we have so much fear and I'm afraid of growing sometimes, which Uh is so bizarre. Yeah. Um, but staying in my comfort zone has really gotten me nowhere. Right. So today I do things to get me out of my comfort zone on the daily basis that are going to better my life. For sure. And it's helped me grow so much. It's been insane. That is awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, if you could give any advice to someone that's listening to this right now, who maybe in a toxic relationship or they're dealing with addiction or they're just looking in the mirror and saying, I hate what I see. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give someone right now who, who's struggling in that area, in those areas? I, first thing I would say is to reach out. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid to reach out because there is always somebody that can understand what you're going through. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And, um, I know it's scary. I know it's makes you vulnerable and can kind of feel weak at times when you reach out and ask for help. Yeah. But in all reality, what do you have to lose? Sure. So reaching out and just not giving up. Yeah. Just there's hard days. We all have hard days, but if you don't give up, it just is amazing. Yeah. Great advice. Um, I'm going to ask you to read something. It's up on my wall here. Would you read that out loud? Yeah. The most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize there is nothing wrong with you. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's what I saw in you when I saw you um, mm-hmm. three years ago. Even when you look like death. <laughs> Literally. But I, I, knew, <laughs> I knew you had this belief, though, that was irrational, that you, that you weren't good enough that somehow you were different so you couldn't connect and that my problems were so big that it's impossible that I'll ever change. Mm-hmm. And and I realized, I saw that those are irrational. I see it in all my clients, but when I remember seeing you is 
these are the things I, I, I try to teach my clients. Is, and I love that you said, you know, you always, you said, if I, even though I go through a, a hard time or a bad day, I know I'll always be okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is, in a, you know, the foundation we should build our lives on is at the end of the day, we're still going to be okay. Right. I mean, look at you. Here you are sitting here. You look amazing. You're doing great. Mm-hmm. In spite of all those things we've just talked about that you've been through. Right. Blows me away. Yeah, and what I've been taught is to turn your pain into purpose, which is beautiful. I I never thought that my jail mugshot when I was close to death (laughs) could help somebody. You know, I never in my wildest dreams imagined that. And that's amazing that I can do that today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I I just want to thank you for being willing to share your story with me today. Um, I think the world of you and I, I'm so happy to see you happy mm-hmm. and that you're doing good things. And so I, I can't thank you enough. I want you to know how much I appreciate your willingness to share. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go, listeners. What an amazing story. Haley Evans. Um, you know, if someone wanted to maybe reach out to you mm-hmm. and just send you a message or to ask you a question, is there a way that they could do that? If, if you feel comfortable sharing like an email or if maybe it's just, you know, on messenger or something. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I'm, um, I have Facebook, I have Instagram. Okay. Um, and I can, yeah, I can give my email as well. Yeah. If you're okay, go ahead. Yeah. It's (laughs) Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y dot Evans, E-V-A-N-S one seven at hotmail.com. Right. So if you have any questions or if you want to just tell her thanks for sharing her story, please reach out to her. And again, thanks for uh, the support listeners. And again, thanks to Veracity Networks for their sponsorship. And I'm just so grateful that I get to sit and hear such amazing stories all the time. And yours is no different. It's just, it's amazing. So you're great. Thank you. I'm glad I know you. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, everybody.